Captain, we have a podcast incoming. I repeat, Captain, we have a podcast incoming. Welcome to the One Player Podcast. I'm your host, Julius Besser, and I'm here with Albert today. And Kevin. And a surprise and guest Kevin. host. Kevin Erskine, I believe. Erskine? Erskine. Erskine. I get that a lot, so that's okay. Uh, <laughs> that's the hard thing to do when we mostly just see it all written down. Right. Yep. And we got Kevin here today because, well, because he wanted to talk with us. and that, That'll be fun. And But I'm really excited to, to talk to him more about the top 100 uh, games on the One Player Guild. He's run that, um, it's not really a contest, but he, he's run that top 100 voting ranking process. System. Ranking. There you go. Thank you. Right. The last two years. The last two years. Okay. Anything else to claim to fame? Uh, for me, for games, no. <laughs> yeah, you, you're probably the person that has has convinced the most folks to buy a, a Hoplomachus. <laughs> uh, that's possible. Probably a few <laughs> others, but yeah. Yeah, that's a very popular game, and they also have their uh, Kickstarter going too. That's right. They have yeah, another. Too, yeah, too many bones. Too many bones, which looks like a fun game. Lots and lots of dice. Expensive yeah. looking game. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the downside, I guess. Yeah. But it looks interesting. For those who aren't aware, um, Too Many Bones is a game currently on Kickstarter, which is a role-playing game, I believe is the idea that they're doing with it. But instead of having you know, cards or anything else to do it, mostly you get to have um, dice to build up and roll to get your strategies going. And it comes with, what, I think 150 dice or something like that? How many dice does it come with? Wow. Yeah, it's something like that. Um, Let's see here. I think they added some more 120, 120 dice, 130 dice, and probably more as they unlock more um, stretch goals. And then they have their normal chips, because they are, after all, chip theory games. But because of all the dice that are involved, it becomes quite an expensive game to back. I think it's, what, $100 to back it? Yeah, hundred dollars. Only ninety nine, ninety nine. It's not that bad. Ish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you end up at the hundred and forty two level pretty quick. <laughs> Do you? Well, that's yeah, funny. they they added some extra characters and stuff like that. Uh, and so you just uh, here's a character for ten. Oh, let me add this for fifteen, and, and next thing you know, you shot. Yeah, well, they're twenty twenty five each because okay. you know the, their board is like a neoprene map, mm-hmm. and and then they add. Um, bunch of chips for each character plus all the dice all the dice are unique for each character so they add a lot for each character so it's not just you know one little miniature and a, and a card or something gotcha. hey do we have any news this time around depends about what you would call news i've got one <laughs> well i've got one news item i do as well okay um we should do that and all. The uh, M- Victory Point Games has released a second edition of Empires of, in America. It's a States of Siege game. And this is this is a neat stage, Siege game because it's different. In this one you actually have different generals you can play with. And um, you draw different general cards and you recruit them. And they, they help you in the combat. And if they do well, they, they get stronger. If they do poorly, they could get uh, fired. And uh, it's, it's a neat game. And now this is out in their second edition, so it's got the the nice, fancy, thick counter, pretty artwork and all that. And how much is it? Let's find out. It is thirty two ninety nine for the box edition. 
You could get the polybag edition for twenty nine ninety nine. You save three dollars, and you don't end up with a box. And you don't end up box, which I mean, I guess it's nice because you save space. But I like those boxes. There's not like a lot of waste wasted space in there. That's true. <laughs> I actually ordered a box recently for another game that they came in a bag, and I boxed it up and I made a sleeve for it and everything. And that, that's it for my news. You said you had some news. Sure. I discussed, um, I think it was even last episode, a game that had been on Kickstarter called Victoriana, which was a cooperative game that I thought was interesting, but I thought that their Kickstarter display was a little bit um, lacking in some certain perspectives. I think it's really just because, uh, to a certain degree, it was their first time on Kickstarter and they didn't know so much about it. But to me, I still think that this game looks very interesting. Briefly, again, this is almost this is what I call sort of an Arkham Horror style type game, where you are a character going around a board, adventuring and solving problems, and you're building up resources in order to deal with all the various problems. But it looks like it uses those different resources that you build, and also a lot of different time tracks involved because each card is its own time track by being rotated. And they look like they do a lot of interesting things. But I'll tell you again, I don't really understand all about the game. They, I've reached out and spoken with them a bit. And both from me and from other people that we've spoken with, they've decided to cancel their previous campaign. So the old Victoriana campaign has been canceled. And they're going to be redesigning it and reworking it to try and get a better focus on what's going to be in, included in the Kickstarter, how they're going to be presenting it, what reviewers they're going to be sending it out to, some of their new prototypes. So one of the things is they never sent out any prototypes and they don't really have any good prototypes on display. So they're working on getting better prototypes out there. Something that I think is particularly of interest about this is they're having a survey trying to figure out what it is that you're interested in. So if you're one of those people that likes to be involved in these, I'd recommend go and take a look at them, look at their game, and potentially fill out their survey and let them know. One of the things that they're asking for is they're trying to see how much demand there is to have the game come with a solo version. Currently, if you're playing solo, you'll have to control two characters. They have plans to uh, develop and continue developing, continue playtesting, a solo variant expansion, which they may want to include in the box. So if this is something that sounds interesting to you and you want it to be in the game and you want a solo variant in the game, feel free to go fill out the form and we'll be including, it's in the last update for the Kickstarter project and we'll put a link to it um, in the show notes. But if this is something you're interested in or you're interested in letting your voice be known, go ahead and uh, tell them that you're interested in having a solo game and feel free to let them know that we sent you over there. Let them know where it is that you're hearing it from, that they need to have reviewers, that they need to have people talking about it, what sort of stuff they should have for it. Because I think of, of a few things, I think also they need to be having reviewers. So let them know who it is that you think they should send it to and what you want to see in the game. Well, that's pretty neat. You don't often hear about somebody canceling the project just to, to do that sort of reboot kind of thing. I mean, I think you're hearing of it some with new time people. You also hear about it with people who see that they're not going to fund. Um, what's, I think, interesting about this one is I think they may have been able to fund. They were about halfway through, and they had about halfway to their goal. Mm -hmm. But the game looks really interesting to me. It looks really unique and different for this kind of adventure game, what they're doing with a lot of th these things, looks like they're doing some different things. And I feel like, and I told them this, I think that if they would have had better 
social awareness and better description of gameplay and some gameplay reviews and some videos on their site, I think that they could have gotten this funded in 48 hours. I think it looks that interesting to me. It looks really neat. I think they could have gotten it funded in 48 hours. And if you're involved in Kickstarter, you know, if you get funded in 48 hours, you're already on the upswing of the curve instead of just barely sneaking over. And then you'll be able to start knocking down stretch goals and you'll start building consumer awareness and trust. And it's just a much better way of doing things. And so I told them, restart and get that 48-hour funded. And hopefully they will. Oh, neat. Yeah, so I remember seeing the game. It looked interesting. Um, I was too tied down, though, with two other games to, to put more money into one of them. Well, if it looks interesting to you, now's your chance to let them know that it looks interesting by filling out the bowl. Yeah. I'll look at it tomorrow. Do you know when they're going to restart it? Did they say? They don't know. I mean, and I I would encourage them to not necessarily say because if they make a timeline, then they're kind of stuck with it. But what they're going to be doing now is they're going to be redesigning their site and sending out reviewers to prototy- uh, prototypes to reviewers. And that's probably going to take two or three months to really get everything done. So they don't currently have a timeline for the relaunch. Okay. Well, I'll keep an eye out for it. And I'm sure that when it goes back live, I mean, if we don't get a review copy, I'm sure I'll be I'll be mentioning where it is because it looks interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a great-looking game. It really is. Cool. And any Kickstarter stuff other than no Kickstarters? <laughs> um, well, how about one that's a pre-Kickstarter? There's a board game called Zephyr Winds of Change. And this is another co-op game. This is a steampunk um, air game where you are a captain of an airship controlling crew and building your ship in order to go through missions and fight off the bad guys. The basic method for how this works is sort of like deck building. The way it works is you'll have your ship and when you dock you'll be able to buy upgrades for your ships. And the upgrades will come in the forms of little chits. So you can, for instance, buy a maneuverability engine, or you can buy a flaming pistol, or all sorts of things. And you'll be able to buy these upgrades. And there are actually a couple upgrades that you can only get from going on successful launchers and getting loot. Every time you buy an upgrade, you also get a card related to that upgrade. And you'll put that card into your deck. So essentially what you're doing when you buy this upgrade is you're actually deck building. When you go out to fight, you'll shuffle up your deck and you'll draw your hand of cards. You get to play one card for free, and for every crew member that you bought, you get to play another additional card. So you want to have extra crew to be able to play additional cards. Those cards will let you take actions and use the various things on your ship, or use shields or maneuvering, whatever else it is that you're trying to get done, or attack. And then you'll deal damage to other people. So I think that the mix of the deck building system and the crew system is an interesting way of having that battle go on. Meanwhile, your opponents are being drawn from oversized cards and their die rolls to figure out what actions is it, what actions it is that they're doing. Um, one other interesting thing about the components of this is what they're doing for the crew cards. Every crew is actually two cards put together. Every crew has a faction card, which is your regular normal card that you would think of. And that just determines one of their two abilities. There also is a clear card. I don't know if you've ever seen these sort of 
poker cards that are see-through partially and then printed on the see-through is the the poker hand. So you can see through part of the card and mm-hmm. then part of the card is, is what it, the actual card is. These are the same. So the crew is printed on transparency. So you'll put the transparency over your background faction and both of those cards together will tell you who your crew is aligned with and what it's what his or her personality is. And you can flip over both of those two cards independently to activate different actions, different abilities. So by having extra crew, you'll build your different abilities and you'll have different things you can do. This looks like a very interesting mix of things. It doesn't have any, there's no space battles going on here. They have very much abstracted the idea of location and space. So it's not a minis game. It's not anything like that. It's really this sort of deck building and action and resource to be able to defeat the enemies and move through until you can beat the boss enemy. Looks really neat to me, especially that, that, that difference of the crew components. I'm not sure they needed to do that. I think they probably could have gotten by having it be two regular cards, but having it be that one of them is a transparent card is an interesting component. I definitely think that's a neat thing that they did. This is something that's supposed to be coming to Kickstarter later. Um, it's not currently out to Kickstarter. I'm not actually sure when it's going to be coming to Kickstarter. I think that they have just simply said it's coming soon. But in the meantime, what they have going on is they also are having a pre-Kickstarter support. And they've said that when they get to Kickstarter, their ask is going to be 35000 And on their website, you can go ahead and pre-pledge before you get into Kickstarter. And if you do that, so then there's going to be a 5% discount. Essentially, I think that's probably because then they don't have to pay Kickstarter. But you can pre-pledge and get in before the Kickstarter starts and already get access to some of these things. So the base game is going for $50, and I think with the 5% off, so that'll come out to be less, you'd have to take a look and see what discounts that they're giving if they're still giving a discount. Actually, the website says 10% as of right now. 10% as of now? Mm Mm-hmm. So, but I'm not sure how long that's going to be going for. So we cut, bring it down to 45. It's 50 normally, but interesting components, interesting gameplay that they're doing here, and that's the winds of Zephyr, uh, Zephyr winds of change. Excuse me. Well, that's interesting. That's a pretty looking game. Mm-hmm. Looks really pretty, and that's an interesting thing that they're doing by having this pre-support phase. I, I understand where they're coming from because, like I said, a lot of Kickstarters really, you know, trying to get publicity, and so they're already starting to build up. A fan base. I'm I'm not sure how helpful it'll be because that fan base won't translate over into showing Kickstarter pledges, because here all the pledges are done in advance. They're doing something different, so I, you know, good job doing something different and unique. Yep, I agree. Yeah, different and unique is always nice. Like I also, uh, this is not a solo friendly game to my knowledge. But if you if you're a Kickstarter person, you probably have seen um, Saloon Tycoon. Are you familiar with that one? Yeah. So Saloon Tycoon is another game on Kickstarter, and it's not solo friendly, but it's being done by AJ and Van Ryder Games, who are the makers of Hostage Negotiator. And so, just very briefly, in this game, you're actually are building up. So you put tiles and other tiles to build your saloon, and. AJ's doing something very different with this one. He's doing a hubs system where to cut down on shipping, you may be able to take part in having like essentially setting up a group for your local area automatically, even if you didn't set it up 
initially to cut down on shipping. So I think that's interesting. So, I, you know, just calling out someone else who's doing something interesting. I like seeing these interesting things coming on Kickstarter. Yeah, I agree. You know, sometimes they don't work, but it's great that people try it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if this one works, it'll cut down on shipping, and that's great for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anything that cuts down on shipping is a good thing. Exactly. Do either of you guys play um, Sentinels of the Multiverse? I do, yes. So you, have you seen their last Kickstarter? Yes, and I am participating in that. Yeah. I have not yeah, gone so. in for, for the $100 stuff. Yep. Yeah, so have I. That's... <laughs> Yeah, you got to finish it off. And I think yeah. I talked about it before. I think I talked about it when they started also. Oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a game. It's a game I enjoy, that's for sure. Yeah, same here. And Julius and I were talking about it recently. He he likes the app, and I like the physical version. And, and I tried the app recently. Did I mention this on the show already? And it did not work for me. Oh, really? Really? Yep. I've tried it a couple times. And honestly, if I'd played that first, I don't think I'd ever played the physical game. Really? I did not enjoy it at all. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it is. Cause I've heard most people like it. Yeah, I I prefer the app. I don't like. I I mean, I started with the physical, and then I played the digital version, and I can did not want to go back. I did not want to go back to physical. I still play the physical version some, but I really really prefer the the digital because it just keeps track of everything for you. It's so much nicer. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, see that that's part of my problem. It keeps track of stuff for me, and so I don't know what's going on all the time. And and I just start clicking through and no idea why I'm taking damage. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's what it takes to find myself. So now I just click here. You know, it's sort of like one of these training games where they always say, click here and now click there and now click here. And all this stuff happens. You don't know why. I, unless you read along, I guess. I mean, yeah. you can pull. I mean, on the app, there's a button that lets you see where all the sources for the stuff that's happening is. So, I mean... Yeah, well, I I don't have the patience for it. <laughs> but you I, do, have, but you do have the patience for it when it's in physical form because it yeah, forces you to have the patience. I play the card, I read it, and now I know that the cards are out there. And yeah, there's some bookkeeping, and I will miss stuff, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, that's the way I play. I don't if I miss something, I don't care. Yeah, it, my my fear is that I have all the physical stuff, and if I buy the app and like it, then I'm like, well, what what am I going to do with all this stuff now? <laughs> so I'm staying away from the app. Yeah, I said I was going to do the same thing, and then I don't know why I decided to try it, and and yeah, I didn't like it. it didn't work for me, and I, I bought it, and it was it was a little expensive. It was fifteen dollars, and like a day later, it was on sale for half off. Of course. <laughs> but you know, I've got the physical copy, and now I'm happy. What I do like is that they have the um, the covers that we could play scenarios, right? And they change change the scenario each week. Right, you're saying for the digital version. Yeah, for the digital version. Yeah. And actually, I emailed them and I said, "You guys should make a stretch goal where you ha- where you build your own randomizer app and include that in the app." Because that that's a pretty benign stretch goal; it doesn't really cost much. And did they respond? No, I I told them don't worry about responding either. I don't need a response. I'm, <laughs> you know, they're busy. Just do it. Don't don't tell me about it. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> See if that works. But yeah, and I'm so waiting for them to hit a million dollars and mention it and mention if they can do anything. Maybe they will. Who knows? Let's see, where are they at? Oh, they're at a million already. A million. Yeah, they hit a million, million yesterday. Million. Did they? Okay. Yeah. yeah but they, they didn't do an update for it, did they? Not yet. I guess they're taking the weekend off. Yeah, that's fair. 
I think they said this was the last stretch goal anyway. So, um, yeah, they said that was it. That's all they had. So really didn't, doesn't really matter when they update it other than people being curious. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I do want to see the art, but it doesn't matter. And I've still got a few weeks, at the, oh, 11 days to go at this point. Yeah. All right. So so we should keep this sort of podcast sort of moving along with a purpose. Sorry. All right. So let's move on to the next section. So I am here talking today with Chris Hansen. You guys have all met Chris before. He has been on a few episodes. Um, how's it going, Chris? It's going great. How are you, Albert? I'm doing great. I'm doing really well. I'm really busy lately, but doing well. Same here. Um, yeah. So I've got Chris here because we're going to start a new segment. I don't know how regular it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be every episode, but Chris is going to be contributing a, a segment to the show. So do you want to say anything about oh, yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be doing a segment on print and play solitaire games. So this is games you can download yourself from the internet usually games that are free that you can get right from board game geek or or maybe other websites uh, but you'd print them cut them up yourself and, and play them but they're all going to be designed specifically for solitaire play nice okay um you know i was thinking this earlier do you also are you also going to ever do things like where you have a print and play expansion for for a commercial game uh, possibly there's a lot of those but i I, I'm not a big one to play those often. Um, okay. A lot of times the ones I've seen are for multiplayer games, but if I saw one that was good for a solitaire game, I'd certainly uh, give it a try and, and consider doing it. Okay. Good to know. All right, so so I think you, you've mentioned to me you're going to keep these relatively short, like five or ten minutes. I'm sorry, five or ten minutes each. Um yeah, I'm going to try to give a little review of the game, little explanation of how it plays, a short description of how to make it uh, if, if you're new to print and play and need some help with that. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to try to keep everything within within 10 minutes or, or less so, to, so that no one gets bored and we keep it interesting. <laughs> you know, I, I can't imagine people will. You know, I know um, FNH had the this print and play podcast and that was really popular for a while. And so unfortunately that's gone. I know people have asked about that sort of thing before. So I don't think anybody's going to be bored or disappointed to to have this. Yeah, that was an awesome podcast, and I I like doing this because I think print and play games sometimes fly under the radar. They're they're known to the print and play community on Board Game Geek. They get a little bit of exposure that way, but they don't have the same marketing departments as a big game publisher. <laughs> uh, you know, because it's just usually one one person or a small group of people releasing something for free on a website. Um, so they don't get heard of as much and they don't get as many players as, as they probably should. So I'm really going to try to find the best games and, and give them a little bit more exposure through this. Nice. Okay. And so how often are you going to plan to do this segment? I would like to shoot for every episode. You mentioned earlier that it might not be every episode and, you know, sometimes real life gets in the way, but I want to try to do this as often as possible. There's, there's a ton of print and play games out there and, more get released every week. I, I follow that community really closely, and there's a constant stream of new games and and years worth of uh, of games that have been released previously that uh, are, are still worth a look today. 
Neat. Okay, yeah, I know, I know there's a lot of old games that, that'd be fun to talk about. Some were probably covered in the print and play podcast, but many weren't. Yeah, and I'll probably try to do a mix of that. Uh, I definitely want to look at some of the new games that are coming out. Um, for example, just this week, uh, Todd Sanders uh, released his Odin Quest, which is a giant mm-hmm. print and play game designed for solitaire. You know, that's certainly one that I'll want to be talking about. But there's also a lot of games that were released years ago that, um, you know, probably don't get as much attention as the ones that just came out. Like things get very popular, just like with published games. You you have the cult of the new, as some people describe it, and you overlook uh, good older games. And, and so I really want to try to mix it up and, and get some of both in there. That's a good idea. Yeah, in theory, I like to look at old games too, but there's there's so many new games coming out all the time that I even want struggle just to give a third of them all the attention they deserve. No, there, there's right. it's so hard to to manage everything, and especially when print and play games are free, you can build up a big collection pretty quickly if you're not careful. <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's true. At the very least, in your hard drive. Yeah, yeah, I've got I've got gigabytes of downloaded games that will probably <laughs> never even be printed, but. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Neat. All right. So so you're going to do this on your own. Um, at least at, for right now, the plan is you're going to record these on your own separately. That may change. I don't know. This is totally up in the air. And, you know, I know I'm agreeable to whatever. Uh, so what game are you talking about today? Uh, so the first game I'm going to talk about is Invaders from Dimension X. Uh, this was a game published by Tiny Battle Publishing recently. So you can actually buy the game in a physical copy, but they're also releasing games in a print-and-play format, which is how I got the game. Uh, so I'm going to be discussing that game, uh, both from the gameplay and from the print-and-play perspective. So if, if you want to buy it that way, which is a little bit cheaper, um, I'm going to be talking about how to build the game and uh, also how the game plays and, and what I like about it. Neat. Okay. Cool. Well, uh, I look forward to listening to that and... At this point, I'm going to stop recording and let you do your thing. Okay, great. Thanks, Albert. <laughs> All right. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Hello, and welcome to the first of a new segment on Print and Play Games. I'm Chris Hansen, and I'm going to be hosting this segment. Uh, you might know me from Board Game Geek as the host of the Solitaire Print and Play Design Contest, and I also am the author of the Print and Play News blog on BoardGameGeek. I've also been a guest on this podcast a few times before discussing the contest and, and other games. So in this segment, I'm going to be discussing and reviewing solitaire games that are free to download off the internet that you can assemble the components and play. There are tons of these games available online. Right now on BoardGameGeek, there's actually a geek list that tracks free solitaire games. And these are games designed specifically for solitaire play. These aren't even multiplayer games with solo options. There are about 361 free games on the list right now, and there's more of them being added all the time. So we're going to have a lot to talk about. Usually in this segment, I'm going to be talking about free games, but occasionally I'll be talking about a game that costs a bit of money to access the print-and-play file. The game I'll be talking about today is called Invaders from Dimension X. It was designed by Herman Lutman and released by Tiny Battle Publishing. This is a solitaire-specific game. This was released recently in both published version and as a print-and-play option. You can get the print-and-play files for this game for about $10. There is a lot of value to this game packed into that price. I should say right off the bat that I was a playtester on this game and also that I'm friends with the designer. 
that's part of the reason that I chose this game for my first episode, but also I really like the game, and I promise that being friends with him and, and playtesting the game hasn't influenced my review. So in this game, you're working uh, as space marines. There's another planet that marines are, are working on, and one of them accidentally opened a portal to another dimension. And through that portal came these aliens that we don't understand at all. They're, they're not of our dimension. They don't share our logic. They don't share our reasoning. These guys come and they want to enslave the human race, and we don't understand them at all. They're actually called the Chaos, which obviously is a homonym for chaos. These guys perform actions that don't make any sense to us. So the way this game works is you've got a couple marines on the board that you're trying to accomplish a mission scenario with. There's two scenarios included in the game. One of the scenarios is pretty simple. It's just moving your marines across the map. In the second scenario, you're actually trying to open a portal to the alien dimension so you can send your marines there and continue the fight in their world rather than ours. So the marines... Uh, have pretty standard actions. They can move, they can shoot. Uh, this game uses kind of a bucket of dice combat mechanism. So if you have a, a unit with a strength of five, you roll five dice. Then you compare those dice to the defensive value of the alien that you're targeting. And if at least three of those dice are higher than the value, you've eliminated the alien. If not, you just caused it to change its defensive value. Uh, it's the same principle applies for the aliens. If they're targeting you, they'll roll the number of dice equal to their combat value, and, and if they can hit you with three or more higher than your defensive value, uh, you become stunned or paralyzed so that they can harvest your body for slave labor on, on in their dimension. So the alien activations work by uh, chip pull. Um, there's, there's 20 chits, and as you pull them, they will activate the aliens and make them do certain things. Uh, whether they make any sense or not doesn't really apply. These alien actions are not always going to be in the best interest of the alien. For example, you might have a situation where you are adjacent to an alien, which, you know, if you're adjacent, uh, the alien would have a combat bonus and be able to hit you really, really hard and probably paralyze you pretty easily. But on the alien's turn, you might draw a chit that makes all the aliens move to a new hex. And they kind of warp around. They don't, they don't have to worry about terrain or anything. They just vanish and reappear in another hex. So here, you know, they're adjacent to you and they've got this combat advantage. And then they just disappear instead of, uh, instead of shooting you. Other times they might all go to sleep. There's actually a counter that makes them go dormant. Or build a monolith, which gives them some advantages, but doesn't really do much for attacking you in the turn that they build it. Other times, those chits can really affect you. If you draw a chit where several aliens start attacking, these guys don't really have any line of sight problem. They, they seem to view trees and, and mountains differently than we do from their dimension. So they can attack us from anywhere on the board. So if you draw an alien attack chit, they can attack pretty hard. Lava is the only terrain feature that blocks alien line of sight. If there is lava between you and an alien they will not be able to fire on you. They can't see you. It also blocks your line of sight as well, but it, it's a good terrain feature to use to protect yourself from the aliens. This game is crazy. Uh, you'll have a turn or two where nothing happens and you think the game is pretty easy, and then a couple turns where they just attack you like mad and you're getting, you're getting beat down fast. So this game takes about an hour to play. You don't have too many chits on the board, this game only comes with 88 counters. 
And most of those are going to be going into to chit cups for alien activations. Uh, I mentioned earlier that if you hit an alien with less than three dice, you'll actually change their defensive value. So you, you'll pull a new defensive value chit for the alien if you hit them with less than three dice, place it on the alien, and sometimes if you're lucky, the defensive value will go down. I think there's a few chits that give you a defensive value of one or two, which is really easy to roll higher than, but most of them are going to hurt you. They go up to four or five, and if you're not able to kill an alien the first time you attack it, oftentimes it'll get a lot harder to kill that alien. The other pool of chits they have is their mission objective. If you're not able to fulfill your mission objective by the time you run out of alien chits, you will draw one of the alien mission objective chits and see if they were able to successfully complete it. So even the alien's mission is randomly determined. Everything they do, their actions, their defensive value, and even their missions are totally random, at least to us in our dimension. They make sense in the alien dimension somehow. So as you're playing the game, there are certain units. There's there's alien leaders. If you eliminate them, you can actually remove one of the mission shits. If you're using one of your marines uh, called the scout, and he's able to roll a 7 when performing his scout action, you can actually remove one of the alien mission goals that way as well. And that's really handy because there's only six of them. So if you're able to remove three or four or even five, then you're going to know pretty well what you have to prevent because there's only one or two left. So you can just make sure that those scenarios don't happen and then you'll still be able to win a minor victory even though you haven't completed your mission objectives. So you've got a couple different types of Marines. There's a heavy weapons Marine. He's the guy that can roll five dice and just kind of can move him around the board and take out aliens where they're causing problems. You've got a scout marine, and his special ability allows you to draw two chits out of the alien activation cup, and you can pick which one you want to be on the next turn. The other one you'll throw back in the cup for later, but uh, you can actually pick the one you want. So if you were lucky enough to draw the one that puts the aliens to sleep, you could use that on your next turn and make sure that you were able to get everything done that you needed to before something bad happened. You also have a logistics unit who can help resupply other units who are out of ammo. Now let me explain how that works. One of the things when you're conducting combat is that if you roll two ones in any of your die rolls, so for example your heavy weapons guy that's rolling five dice, if, if any of those two dice are ones, he'll still hit with any other dice that, that were applicable, but if you roll two ones, you actually flip over to your out of ammo side. And then you're going to need a logistics unit to come and spend its action to resupply you. There's also a headquarters unit. This unit can help other units. When it's adjacent to them, it gives them a bonus, maybe an extra combat role or a better chance of successfully doing a scout action. And finally, there's a special ops unit. And these units are armed with a unique weapon that allows them to blast an alien from about six hexes away. It ignores line of sight. It's kind of similar to alien technology. You roll a dice and it's one through three. You hit the alien. Then the other numbers cause some effects. You can actually blast yourself around the board. You can force yourself to warp. Uh, the weapon can backfire on you and, and make you be stunned. So the, you know, then the aliens could come and, and harvest you at the end of the scenario. The weapon's really, really powerful, but it comes with some cost. Like, it's using the alien's random technology yourself, and you can expect some random results when you use it. It's pretty sure, you know, you got a good chance of hitting the alien, but also, who knows what's going to happen with that weapon. 
So Marines have the uh, ability to rally themselves. They can make a die roll to try to remove paralyzed or stunned markers so that they can become active again. And the aliens have a few other cool weapons. They can just bring out something, for example, called a phase shift deployment weapon. This weapon will stun any Marines that happen to be within four or five hexes of it. And it's randomly determined where this weapon goes. Now, the way that alien movement and alien weapon placement works is really unique in this game. When you first look at the map, the hex numbering looks insane. It doesn't make any sense. But the way it's working is actually it's three numbers, and they're all one through six. So these are die rolls. Anytime you have to move an alien or place one of their weapons or... Uh, If you're using your special ops weapon and it actually warps you to another hex, you're going to randomly determine where you go. So you roll three dice, and the first dice is the first number of the hex, the second dice is the middle number of the hex, and the third number is the final number of the hex. So things really are random. You just pop up all over the map. On both maps, hex number 666 is kind of a key location. On the first map, it's a bridge through the lava tunnel. Uh, And on the second map, it's actually a wormhole that you're trying to use to get to the alien dimension. So in this segment, I'm always going to talk a little bit about how the print-and-play assembly goes. This game comes on a map that is 20 inches by 18 inches, so it's a little larger than a ledger sheet of paper or an A3 piece of paper. You could probably get by printing it slightly smaller if you also reduce the size of the counters so that they would fit the map. I actually went ahead and printed this on four sheets of paper, regular letter A4 paper, and then just taped them together. The counters are double-sided, but there's only 88 of them, which is about half the size of a standard counter sheet. These counters are double-sided, so when I was building my copy, I glued each side to cardboard. And this is just thin cardboard, like a cereal box or a, a gift box you would use to wrap a Christmas gift in. And once the counter sheet dried to the top of the box... I cut around each counter sheet very closely to the edge of the counters and then glued the two pieces of cardboard together back to back so that the front and back of the counters would be aligned and I have a nice thick counter that I could pick up and handle and push around the map. I really don't like playing war games with just paper counters because they're so flimsy and they're kind of hard to manipulate. I like having a little bit of thickness, a little bit of heft to the counter so I can move it around. And doing that with a cereal box or a gift box gives you about the same thickness as what comes in a lot of published war games. So it's a very familiar feeling. Overall, this was a really easy game to build. You just cut out those counter sheets, the map. The rule book and charts don't require any assembly. They just get printed, obviously. So all told, this was maybe just an hour or so of time to build the game. It's definitely a little bit ink-heavy. The, the graphics are tremendous, but everything is full color. There's very little white space, which I think you would expect. You know, If you're paying for a print-and-play game, you probably want some really good graphic design, and this game has it. It looks terrific. The art is by Tim Allen, who is very famous in the war game community. He does a lot of different war games and has a very nice style, very clean, and everything just looks fantastic. One of my only complaints with the components is that the Marines all look pretty much the same. You have six different types of Marines, and the counters for each of them is just a head wearing kind of a Marine space helmet. They're differentiated by a color band, but depending on your printer, these color bands might actually look pretty similar. There's two of them that have slightly different shades of blue. You can tell them apart, but they are kind of similar, and, and looking at it at a glance, you could get confused. I would have liked to see a little bit more variety on the artwork uh, on those counters. 
The alien counters are all identical, but they were all pretty much identical anyway, other than the leaders, which are identified with bright red on the counter, so they're pretty easy to spot. So overall, I found this game to be terrifically fun. It's it's funny, it's very lighthearted, the artwork has this 1950s B-movie horror kind of theme, like Attack of the 50-Foot Woman movie posters or something. It's really silly. The aliens jumping around, being crazy. This makes you laugh more than anything else. I, like, I, I actually find this game to be quite amusing as I'm playing it. It's, this is not a game for people who hate randomness, but if you're looking for kind of some silly fun, but still has some strategy, like you've really got to plan out what you're doing and use your Marines to the best that you can to accomplish your mission goals, because the game isn't easy, but it is crazy. You can make the best plan in the world, and then all of a sudden you have an alien adjacent to you shooting you, and there's not much you can do about it. But then two turns later, he's going to jump away again to the other side of the board for, you know, whatever crazy alien logic reason. It's a lot of fun. Like, even though the randomness and craziness is hard to plan for, you still can do some planning. You still have to have strategy, and it's just a lot of fun to play. I really have enjoyed this game. So one thing that's cool is they're actually working on a sequel right now. Herman Lutman and Fred Manzo, who is the developer of this game, are working as co-designers on producing a new game called Space Vermin from Beyond. And in the follow-up to this game, which is also a solitaire game, you have swarms of aliens that are coming in. So instead of just having like one alien unit, you have these swarms that can actually infect people and take over Marines. So Sounds really cool, and I'm very excited to see that one. It's it's developing nicely and should be released pretty soon, so I'll let you guys know when it actually gets released. So on Board Game Geek, I rated this game an 8. I think it's a fantastic game, a lot of fun, highly recommend it. Go check it out. And if you're interested in saving some money, get the print-and-play version and assemble the game yourself. It still looks terrific, and it's it's fun to build. If, if, you, if you're into print-and-play games, this is a good one. All right, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you next time. And, and so on to our next segment. What is our next segment? Just talk to Ju- talk to Kevin. I think we're going to talk to Kevin. All Kevin, right. I think you had this planned in advance. Kevin, did you have a plan in advance? Uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Ask away. All right, yeah. I, we got some questions. I, I emailed Kevin some questions last week. And so I'm going to ask some questions, and we'll talk about these things. Uh, so first of all, did Kevin... Did you email uh, me questions? I did it. Did I not email you? I'm sorry. Surprise. <laughs> we are nothing but professional here. So, Kevin, why why email Julius? How long have you been gaming? Ooh, uh, I guess I probably started in the 70s, so gives you an idea of my age. Old man. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I remember going to stores seeing these Avalon Hill games, and I remember seeing a couple of them play alone. My family, we, we played a lot of cards and stuff. But not in and the usual board games. But then I started seeing these games in stores, and I'd buy some, and I'd play both sides. Um, eventually, there was some that were soloable, but I had a lot of that. So I actually had a lot of a, a lot of Avalon Hill games. Um, and then I probably went about twenty years. You know, got married, had kids, didn't play anything, and finally got them out of storage and started. Um, I found a lot of them were worth a lot, so I started trading games and got back into it about um, well, maybe eight, seven, eight, nine years ago. Um, and found Board Game Geek and really started playing a lot now. 
Um, you know, the kids would play some. My son played a lot with me. My daughter, my youngest daughter, a little bit. Um, but it was pretty obvious that most of my playing was going to be solo. Uh, so I started trading a lot of the games that they'd never play, all these old war games, and started getting more and more games I could play alone. And do they play with you anymore, or no? Uh, yeah, when they, well, I mean, my my youngest two got married last year, so they're all out of the house. So it's just my wife and I now. And, she wants no part of games, usually. <laughs> so, um, you know, they came over today, actually. We played, uh, you know, code names and uh, between two cities. But generally, um, not very often. I mean, I, don't, I, I'm, I only see them maybe once a month now. They live right around here, but, you know, unless they're, uh, they want something, you don't see them every, all the time. <laughs> Oh, neat. Okay, I played Between Two Cities yesterday. That's a fun game. Yeah, they like that. They like that a lot. All right. And so, so you already answered my next question. Are you primarily a solo gamer? It sounds like you are. Yeah, I am now. I mean, I'll play anything. If if, if the family comes over and they want to play, I'll play games. But, you know, like I said, it's my wife and I now alone. And so I'll just, I got two or three tables set up in the basement with games on them. And I move from one to the other and, um, play solo nice i guess you don't have cats or anything like that no <laughs> that would be yeah, so much harder nice. oh yeah oh that would that'd be impossible i don't know how people do <laughs> we don't or, or you set up a box nearby it's a cat trap yeah. it's amazing how how you have a game box open the cat just comes in and sits in it no matter how small the box the cat swears yeah. off it <laughs> Yeah, so generally I have no cats and, and no cats ever, but and generally not little kids around. Um, although one time my grandson came and he took all those little yellow blocks from Mistfall, and he, to this day, we don't know where they are. <laughs> they just disappeared. He just liked them. I'm pretty sure he took them, but we can't. You know, he's four. You can't get any make any sense out of what he's trying to tell you. <laughs> They're probably like in the kitchen drawer somewhere or something like that. Who knows? They were probably in his pocket and he took them home. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. So. That's funny. And these are like resource cubes or something? Yeah, they mark just your um, your attributes where you're at. Perfect. So, yeah, I, got lots of, I got other things to use. Do you have any favorite games, Kevin? Oh, yeah. Um like what? Mage Knight's my favorite. Mage Knight's my favorite by far still. Um, oh, following the crowd. Well, <laughs> when we get to the question, that was one of the Mage Knight was one of the reasons I really wanted to do the People's Choice Top 100 solo. Um, Why does Mage Knight like, mean you want to do the Top 100? Yeah, well, you know, when it all started because of, you know, Tom Vassell did his People's Choice thing, and a lot of games I really liked, a lot of the solo games were way down on the list or not even on the list at all. And I started thinking about it thinking, man, if you get the right people voting, there's a lot of games like Mage Knight that would be really high. So that's why, why I did it the first time to see if it was true. And, and as you've seen in two years running, it's nothing's even remotely close. Right. Unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> are you a hater? I'm not a hater. I want, <laughs> I, I also really like Mage Knight. I want to see someone make something that can rival it. We, well, so do we I. need someone to make something as good as Mage Knight. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, other favorites, um, Shadowrun Crossfire came, you know, I, I found that last year and love that. I think I played it 
logging my plays. I'm over 130 plays of that just last year. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, I love that game. It's I, I like anything that's got a real like a puzzle to it that you have to think and your decisions matter, and you know you 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 your choices matter in a way that you know one game you can try something one way, the next game you can try. I don't want you know, having decisions where I know I'm going to always pick this card, I'm always going to pick this card if I have that sort of thing. Well, I don't want that. Um, so, uh, so I, so I really enjoy that. Plus, it's quick. So it's you know, Mage Knight is a few hours, yeah. whereas that's you know, I can play. I think I played 25 games one day. It's still not something uh, I've actually had a chance to play. Uh, it's 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 good. I mean, everybody complained about it being really hard, which I don't mind. Hard is like impossible. I'm not crazy about, but hard is good it has the stickers right that's the one yeah i don't use the stickers i just write down what my characters have yeah um but you know so the, what it would turn me on the game was that the designers came out because everybody was saying it's impossible you can't win and so they did one a video where they just said okay you know here's the here's the cards we'll just draw cards and we'll show you what we do and when you saw them discussing the strategy, and I, you know, I was reading it, and read why he picked one card over another, and he'd have people suggest things, and then they'd they'd go in and say, "Well, no, I wouldn't do that because if you do that, you know, this might happen next because of what's left in your deck, and this card, you could, you, it's a good card, but you don't need it now, so save it, buy it later." Just all these little decisions, and I'm like, "Oh, I like that a lot." <laughs> so mm-hmm. that sounds neat. That sounds interesting when you describe it that way. Yeah, oh, it's it's fantastic game. Do you watch a lot of gaming videos? Yeah, I do. Um, I watch a lot of times. I'll watch just to the. I'll watch their final thoughts and see what they say. Uh, especially if it's a game I already know something about it. Um, and you know, you get some reviewers. You know how you know where they're biased or whatever. So you know, kind of going in, what kind of things they like or don't like. Um, and then when they, you know, if they describe things, well, I don't like this because. You know, it's too hard. I'm like, well, well, I if that's the only negative, then this must be a great game. Um, and, and so I watch that, and then I'll go back through and watch maybe more of the playthrough if it if their final thoughts sound interesting. Um, you know, for Kickstarters, I'll watch all the previews of seeing what's out there and seeing what you know, how you play it and how it looks. Um, other favorites, myth is probably my next favorite, which to me, to me, myth is, uh, is, you know, I'm, I'm slanted towards fan. I love fantasy. You know, I grew up with reading Tolkien. So that kind of thing with, you know, a, a fantasy dungeon crawl is almost like my grail game and myth hit everything I wanted. The uh, first edition or the second edition? Yeah, the first even, um, you know, I understand the, the rules, things everybody complained about. It, it, it's nowhere near as bad as everybody made it out to for be. The, for those people if, who aren't aware, do you want to tell the story of what happened there? Well, they, they you know, they, they put out their rule book, and I think you'd almost have to guess that they didn't have third-party people read the rule book or something. So everybody who read the rule book knew how to play already. And so you kind of assume this and assume that, and it was just, it was missing stuff. What I found when I played it with the first edition rule book was that anything I couldn't figure out or wasn't in the rule book, I'd make an educated guess. 
And I'd say about 95% of the stuff, when they finally put in the rules, what I assumed was right. Um, just, not because I'm brilliant, just because it just it just made sense. It's like, what would no, it's what makes sense? And, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> no, but, the, you know, so you, you know, I'm not, I don't care if, because I'm playing alone. I, I don't care that if I'm playing something exactly right or not, it, it doesn't matter to me as I was having fun with it. And, it was great. Okay. Um, it was actually the first game. You know, I started enjoying it so much, I decided to even start painting. Um, so I painted the whole set, which I'd never painted anything in my life. Um, this is a person who can barely draw stick figures. So, how many how many figures does it bring? Um, I had the Kickstarter version, so there was probably a hundred. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and there and you didn't have to assemble them, which was nice because that's not fun. Mm-hmm, yeah, uh, I've I've tried that before, and that's that's hard. Yeah, shadows of brimstone was like that. I had to put them together, and it was awful. My fingers, I had my fingers stuck together. I had I had glue everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, myth myth to me is is that's still my favorite dungeon crawl type game. Um, the downside of Myth is it's expensive. Um, their last Kickstarter probably cost me three hundred dollars or more. Wow. Okay. And um, is is does it have a campaign game, or is it each time you play is it a standalone story, or what? They have different. They have different ways you can do it. You can play like a single tile. Um, all I've ever played actually is what they call the story quests, and they had about ten quests in the book, and the Kickstarter had another ten, I think. Um, and the story quest is like three acts, and so an act might be five, six tiles that you got to go on, get from one end to the other, fight whatever's on the tiles, get to it, accomplish some goal, um, and then the story continues a little bit more of the story, and then they might change a rule or something that makes the second act of the quest a little different. You know, like you can you can't move, you can only move less, or the darkness happens more often. Um, some penalty, um, mm-hmm. and then so you pay, you play these three acts, and each act is you know, it's a good amount of time. You're probably playing an hour or two for each act, um, and, and I'll go through it and play it with different characters. Uh, you know, I'll play with two characters, and then maybe try the same thing with five characters, uh, and, and go through you know these story quests. If you play it with others, they have a um, they have what they call slaughter field mode, where you're just trying to survive as long as you can. And they got a card that'll show you, okay, this round, this many things come out, and you've got like three turns to get rid of them. And whether you survive or not, the next round starts three turns later, and four more sets of monsters come out, and three turns later, four more come out or something, and you're just trying to survive as long as you can. Um, so that could be a, you know, if you have, you know, three or four people playing and you want to just play on one tile and just fight and roll dice, that could be a faster way of doing it. Mm-hmm. They added all these quest cards that you could play where you just play, um, you know, like a sandbox version of it. And, and I think that's part of the thing that didn't go over well because it was too freeform for people where they could just say, well, I want to put one layer this time instead of two, or I'm going to have a hunting group and I'm going to choose this enemy to put on the tile. And a lot of people just like, I don't know what to do. 
the you know I don't I don't know how many to put and I don't know what to put here and I don't know if I should use this enemy or that enemy and I think that really killed them so the second Kickstarter came out and they introduced these things called modules which are basically quests they're just they're they're it's an adventure um, so like adventure packs and I think that's kind of a a good middle ground for a lot of people I see and that's basically kind of the same thing but with the difficulty more fixed so you don't have to worry about right well it's more specific they you know it would say here's the tiles you're going to use you're going to put this type of creature on here um, this is the boss that you're going to see at the end this is how many layers you're going to see um, there might be some variability in there but it it tells you what trap you're going to use um, so yeah it's all much more fixed okay let's talk about the top 100 next okay yeah, so what do you want to know about it all right. Well, how much work does it take for you to be able to get all that put together? Um, it's it's not really bad because it, for the most part, people's votes come in to me um, over. I think we did for, we had it open for six weeks, so they'll come to me. You know, four or five a day. Now there's probably a few more. It's a little busier at the end, but I, I have it all on a database, and I have. You think it needs to be open for six weeks like that? Um. No, oh, okay. I, no. I think, I think sometimes what we do is we we open it that long so that because then what a lot of people start doing is saying, oh, I got I got five games I know might make my top twenty, so I want to get them played, and so it gives them a little more time to get them played and then um, get to it. But we could probably shorten it to two weeks, then it would be a lot more time for me in two weeks. But basically, I got to go in and type um, each person's game and their name into this database and you know i ran, i put one to 20 and then i put the game name in now i have it set up so as soon as i start typing the first few letters it populates the rest uh, mm -hmm. and then but if there's a new game then i go back to the other table and add the game to it and i come back to this one and so it, it, it takes a little bit of time but i got it down pretty good so it's it, it's not it doesn't take all that long it's not like i'm working an hour a day on it or anything. okay and it, it's probably also fun to see what people pick and stuff Oh, absolutely. Do a lot the amazing thing to me. Yeah, well, the first time we did it, we only had 85 votes, I think. And I think there were 300 different games picked. I mean, I didn't even know there were 300 soloable games out there. Yeah, so now we left the we left the voting pretty open so that if you play a, you know, if you play some war game both sides and that's your favorite solo game, then vote for it. You know, we're not trying to tell you that that doesn't count. So there were a lot of games that aren't real, don't really have solo options, but people voted for them. But it, it was just surprising how many. And I think this last time, we might have been around 500 games. Wow. Yeah, which really surprised me. I mean, a lot of stuff I'd never heard of. Um, you know, obviously a lot of new stuff, too. And that's 500 games people like enough to, to mention. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them only get one vote. Do you think you're going to need to do something different as we're getting more and more people in the guild? I don't know. Um, it's still very manageable. I think we, I, I forget the number we had. I think we only had about 200 this year, 200 votes. So it's still very manageable. Do you want uh, to Dice Tower said, sure. 
I mean, I, I think so. I'm trying to decide if you if more means you'd see the same games always winning, or more means you'd have more more variation. I don't know. I don't know which way it would go. Well, I don't think we're going to see much, too much variation in the top, but hopefully, <laughs> I mean, hopefully, we'll see more things across the hundred. So next year there might be competition for Mage Knight, right? If we have that uh, Star Trek Mage Knight. I doubt it. <laughs> well, we'll see if it gets out first, you know? Yeah, really. Yeah. It, I, don't, I don't know. I guess that one probably won't do quite as well. Yeah, it doesn't interest me as much. I, I don't even know if I get it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't get it because I already have Mage Knight. Right, and, I and feel like that's probably going to be a pretty global thing. That's a good point. Yeah, and I'm, and science fiction isn't that's that's probably one of my least favorite themes. I find that there are some people locally who are like polarized on whether or not they really like science fiction or they really like fantasy, but I don't find people like both. They usually, really prefer one or the other. Hmm. Yeah, I can believe that. Hmm. I, I would be into the Star Trek game if it wasn't the the original series. I've never enjoyed that. That's the only one I know, really. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'd be happy with more next generation or Deep Space Nine. All right. Um, so did, you came up with the idea for the top hundred? Yeah, you know, like I said, I saw the Dice Tower People's Choice top one hundred, and I thought, you know, we should have the same kind of thing for solo games. So I proposed it in the guild, and, and people thought, well, that's a great idea. So we just we just did it. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Okay, and that for anybody that doesn't know happens in the fall, doesn't it? Like November. Yeah, we used to do it around um, uh, November. Uh, I think I think we opened it at the end of November into December, um, so that it it finishes. I actually published a list I think in late December. Okay, right around Christmas time then. Yeah. Okay. And then what you publish is, well, you you make the geek list of the top hundred games, and, and you start with one hundred and work your way down to one to number one, right? And you go through that, and you take your time about it, which makes it fun, yeah, and and painful for some people who just can't wait, yeah. <laughs> especially the people who want to see Mage Knight dethroned. <laughs> I don't know who that would be. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah, and then once you've done that. Which, which you know, I gotta say, is really fun because there's some people talking about it and speculating and talking about each game as it comes out. It's just the discussion. Discussion is so fun. It is fun, and it, it's so hard not to say something because obviously I know who won. And when I keep seeing people say, "Oh, I think this game's gonna beat Mage Knight or something," and I'm like, I just bite my tongue and I can't <laughs> say it. For- <laughs> yeah, you can't. You can't agree nor disagree. It's horrible. No, <laughs> I, I just say. What's that? It's horrible having inside information. We feel very bad for you. No, we don't actually. No. <laughs> I know. Now you you've sent us the the list and and we're able to play along sort of because we revealed the the top ten and, and it was fun to see everything in there. You know. Yeah, and and so we, I do the the top hundred I show on the geek list, but I also put up basically a um, I create a spreadsheet I think last year out of the from the database of all the games so if someone wants to see because some people wanted to try to run the game the 
you know, take the data and sort it different ways or say, you know, what if you sorted it by this criteria, then maybe this game would go higher and, you know, or if you weighted the, the scoring differently, somebody had some crazy um, complicated scoring method where you, I don't know, took the square root of the number of years, the late <laughs> the game's been out or something. I don't know what it was, but, um, but people can look at it different ways and they can see what else, you know, it's a lot of people just want to see what other games are out there. And so instead of seeing the top hundred, they're looking at the top 500. That's right. Yeah. And and that makes sense because you know pretty much the idea is any game on that list is is somebody likes it so it's worth looking into and just finding out more about it. Yeah, I mean if you see one that's way up there that only one person voted for, but they gave it their number one vote, yeah, maybe send them a geek mail and find out more about it. Do people ever send you like funny comments or anything uh, with their votes? Oh yeah. Yeah, some people said I've had some. You get some comments, and then you get some who send the the votes, and then two days later they're like, "I changed my mind," and they send me another vote, and then a week later, like, "I played this game; it's got to go in here." Um, <laughs> and they're, it's funny because probably one of the most common comments was was something like, "I hope Mage Knight goes down" or something. <laughs> so you're not alone, Julius. You gotta you gotta tally those and find out how many there are at the end. Yeah, that would yeah. be funny. That'd be fun. Yeah, and then review that at the very end so we could all make our bets. Yeah, I should probably put their names up. Here's <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, do you do you watch the rankings change as you're po- uh, adding the games to the list that people submit, or do you wait to the no. end? Okay. No, I just I just put them in the data so I don't do anything. I don't do anything with it. And then when it's all over. I basically run a query that'll go through and and put the points because I put them in from one to twenty. So I got to write a query that says if you get one, if you voted a one, then you get twenty points. So I don't do that to the end to add them up, and then um, and and then I go and sort them different ways based on the points. But then I got to go through and see how many number one votes they had to break ties and things like that, and how many votes total they had. So. so yeah, I, I do that at the very end. Are you thinking of trying to automate the system? Uh, someone mentioned uh, one of the Mo's, I think, said something about you know creating a a on a, you know web based program that would do it. Um, you know, I'm not against that. I, I enjoy taking the votes and putting them in. Um, you know, being the, the keeper of the knowledge, you know, but. It, it, obviously, if we start getting, if we get to the point where it's two thousand votes, then yeah, we're going to have to do something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's only the entry that's really takes some work. The the sorting and all that is is just a couple of queries and, right. and it's done. And, and there's some as you're doing the entry, there's some thinking you have to put into it too, right? Because th- there's some games that get combined depending on what they are, don't they? Yeah. Well, this year we decided nothing got combined. Okay. Um, but there were some people who would put down um, legendary, and I'm like, well, so I'd have to mail them back and say, you know, is this legendary encounters, Marvel legendary? W- what are you looking at? And some of them they'd say the D and D games. Well, I'm like, well, we, we're not, we're splitting them this year, so which one? Um, so I probably had to email people back about, um, I don't know, one out of every. 10, maybe one every five, um, somewhere in there and just get more clarification. 
A couple of people put up games that weren't even on Board Game Geek. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, there's some of those? Yeah, the game, there's yeah. new games. That they, or sometimes they put it by a name, and it's like, oh, yeah, this is what Board Game Geek calls it, because it got translated or something. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, there's some also that are Game Crafter that have never showed up on Board Game Geek. Oh, interesting, okay. I have to go look there, then. Yeah, you know, I, I could not limit myself to 20 so i think i sent you like 23 or 25 or something like that <laughs> i was like congratulations i ignored your last five <laughs> yeah that's, well, that's what that's what i did yeah that's a shame i was hoping they get like you know fractional points or something did you make your top 20 <laughs> me yeah you kevin yes i did how did you do it? yeah so i um someone put up a thing a program called Gimli or something like that, where you basically put in a list of games, and it goes through and says it, it'll just randomly start pulling up two. It says which one would you rather play. You 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 choose one or the other, and then it goes through every game you put in your list. It'll go through them and keep mixing up the orders, and I guess it keeps track of how many times you picked each game and it puts them. So that gets me pretty close. And then if it said. Okay, you you know you picked uh, Galaxy Defenders higher than Mage Knight. I'm like, yeah, no. And <laughs> so then I'd manually put it back to where it should be. Um, and so that got me really close. And sometimes it was surprising the order it put them in. And then I would just go through and basically kind of put them in. I was trying to keep. If I had two games that were really similar in the top 20 and, and they would be top 20 games. I would still take one of them out just to put something different in there. So my top 20 was more top 20, more or less different games. And there's a lot of people who had different ways of doing it. Yeah. I think for me, I just, I went through all the games I've played solo that I could find and just threw them in a list. And so for them, I knew some people actually went and played every game before ranking them and, and whatnot. Oh goodness. I cannot do that. No, not me. I did that in 2014. My my goal for the year was to play every single solo game I had before the end of the year. <laughs> you know, one year I made a New Year's resolution to play to play two different games, a total of like seven times between two two of them that year, and that that was like six years ago, and I'm still working on finishing that. I think the problem with that is I come back to my favorites too often. Uh, yeah, and since it's supposed to be fun, why not, right? Yep. And that's the thing, as long as it's fun for you, as long as you can find a way to rank them, just go out and have fun and enjoy the whole process. Yep. <laughs> Whether it's playing the games or just thinking about them or what. Next year I'm going to stack them by size, box size, and and, <laughs> and, and dead air inside the box and rank them that way. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> I'll get to use my calculus again. Finally, it's been neat. So, you know, one thing I keep thinking about is... Uh, you know, we've got the top 100 games, and there's also the, the one-player awards. And they're both two different ways of of picking the best solo games. That And they're both part of the one-player guild, but they, they work very differently. And, and yet, to me, they, they almost seem redundant sometimes. Why, why do you need two different ways to rank games? I, mean, I don't really? think they are, but it, it almost feels that way. Really? I, I guess the... I, I never look at awards, because I find they're, you're going to get just what... Usually they're by year or something, but so if you if you have an award for the year, I don't I don't really care that much. Um, and then it'll narrow it down to just one. I think one of the things people like about the top 100 is that they're finding 
I mean, the, the number of comments from people as we produce the list is like, oh, I'll have to get that. I'll have to get that. And they start talking about how much money the list has cost them because of games they'd never heard of or games that, you know, th they didn't know you could play solo or games that they didn't really know how they worked. Other people talk about them. And so now they wanted them. The awards, chances are most people have probably heard of whatever game won, whatever award. Or so it's not like you're getting anything new. Mm hmm. Yep, that makes sense. And so, so the top hundred does a better job of, of introducing people to a lot more games. And I yeah, guess and the one pair awards are more about recognizing the game of the year sort of thing. Which yeah, it's just one. That's true. Yeah, I, I love watching almost everybody who any all these reviewers who put up their top one hundred. I watch every one of those. I, I find that when you you start seeing which games they kind of like, and they rank one higher, that means more to me than just randomly someone saying this is a great game. I have no perspective on what else they like. So the top 100s that people produce are, um, I find those really useful. I don't know that I could rank 100 games. That's, that's, a, lot, that's a lot of games. I think if you use the uh, Gimli program or something like that, you'd probably be able to. I mean, I find it difficult just to rank 20. Yeah, I guess I'm not sure that I could think of 100 games that are worth ranking then again maybe i have 100 games so maybe i do i mean there's 500 there's 500 games in the top 100 list surely yeah, out of there you can get 100 <laughs> that's true <laughs> that is true there's, there's so many i haven't played though there are and more coming out mm -hmm. which is just awesome just seeing more yeah more keep coming. yeah i'm all for it <laughs> absolutely it's so, so for the uh the next top 100 when's that gonna happen same time frame yeah, someone mentioned doing it earlier so that you could hit the Black Friday sales. It's oh, so, not a bad idea. Oh, that's funny. I don't know. We we might do that, but if you try to do it by year, then you know, if you do it in September, October, then you're kind of, you know, there's although that's after all the conventions, right? Yeah, well, Essen, Essen is in October, so you'd want to give people a little while after that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe end of November is just right for that. Yeah. I don't know, but that, but yeah, around the end of the year we'll do it. I do whatever people want. I mean, is there anything you want to change for this one? Uh, or are you no, happy? You know, usually before about a week or two before, I put up a thing on the One Player Guild about asking people if they have any suggestions, and there were a few. Uh, actually, after I started the list this time, someone you know suggested we put the average vote. So I went back through the ones, the first 10 or so that I already put up, and I, I calculated the average vote and then put that in. And I calculated for the year before so you can kind of see what changed. Um, so one thing I'd probably do from year to year is like how many times something was on the, the top 100 list or you know how many years running, uh, where it was the previous two years. Uh, but I don't, I don't know that there's a lot more I would change as far as you know, the scoring, um, I, I think the scoring system is fine. Uh, so no, I don't, I don't see changing anything, but if people said, Hey, here's this idea and everybody loved it, then I could. My, my only suggestion is to, to make it 23 instead of 20. <laughs> First you're saying you don't have a hundred. Now you want, you're the only guy who wants to go past 20, 23, just, just three. 23. <laughs> I'll suggest it. 
All right. I will write it down in my suggestion box, also known as the garbage can. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's worth debating. Because <laughs> well, if you do that, then I'll come up with twenty-six games I really want. Yeah, I was gonna say by next year you probably you should have more by next time around. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's funny how much I, I compared what I did this year against last year. It's surprising how different it was sometimes. Like some games that got ranked relatively high, the next year were relatively low. Well, don't you guys find your cha- your tastes are other? Or in my case, a refining. I'm I'm finding more and more what I really like, and I think it's getting more and more obvious to me. Are you guys finding that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can very well say no. I mean, there's sometimes where games surprise me out of left field, even though I wouldn't have thought I would have liked it. Like I think, um, Drat, this one was a while ago when it was on Kickstarter. And I'm trying to remember it, but it was basically just a dice rolling game with very little decisions. And dungeon I still roll. liked it. No, it was not dungeon roll. Um, no. It was one that went on Kickstarter. It was a, a set of cards, and they came in a pyramid. I can't even remember what it was. Yeah, I can't think of that. Uh, I don't know. Something like that one. But anyway, I mean, I find that sometimes games that I wouldn't have thought I would like, I still like. And some other types, I think that, you know, ones I already have in my collection I already know and like more and so therefore I just don't like the the ones that I would have expected to like because they just don't do it as well as the ones that I already like so I don't know I think for me it changes a lot in just in my taste change from year to year I don't know if it's refining it's just maybe what I'm playing the types of games I'm playing this year are different from last year especially because my kids are still pretty young like lately I'm, I'm having less interplay so, so I'm enjoying short games more. Right, I think that's always true for me. I always, I, I don't. The the one problem with Majin is it's huge. I really have always liked for solo games, the games that are about thirty to sixty minutes. If it's longer than sixty minutes, I tend not to really be too excited about it. Similarly for setup time, if the setup time is too long, I tend not to be too excited about it for solo games. Yeah, that makes sense. And that mm-hmm. I've always just continued to find because I keep trying some longer games and just not wanting to finish them. Yeah, it, it could be hard to finish games sometimes. I was playing something the other day and I played about three-fourths of it and I said, well, I think it's just time to put it away. You know, and I was so close, but <laughs> I couldn't leave it out. So so that was that. Yeah, I'm, I guess I'm lucky I don't have that problem. I can leave them out. And I got two. I got three tables right here in front of me where that I would can be put nice. different games on <laughs> <laughs> Nope, can't do that either. Yeah. Now, now, if I know it's going to take me a long time and I can plan for it, I will. I will, you know, play a game where I'll set it up ahead of time, or, or at least separate the pieces I'm using if it's a big war game and and that sort of thing, and prep it. And then afterwards, I could put it away in such a way that I could come back to it. Yeah. But yeah, this year has, that hasn't worked. It's not the year for it. Maybe next year. Maybe when you guys get to my age, you'll be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my son wants to play games a lot too, though. So I'm finding during the weekends when I have time, we end up playing a game together. That's good. Mm-hmm. Or, or a few times he's he's pulled out solo games and asked me to teach him those. And that's that's, good. that's funny. Yeah. Yeah, get him away from video games. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it doesn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I can imagine. It's just more gaming. It's not different gaming. It's more gaming. 
Well, neat. So I think we've we've covered a lot about the top hundred. Unless anybody else wants to say anything else. Nope. I think we're going to move on to the review. All right. So, what game are we reviewing this week, Evan? Uh, Thunderbolt Apache Leader. Now, why did you pick that one? Um, actually, I think I think Albert picked it. He said it was one that you guys didn't uh, know a lot about, um, and it was probably my probably up top five or six for me. Okay. And this is part of the the Leader series by Dan Verson Games, which right are they all designed by Dan Verson himself? No, other some people. There's different uh, designers on each one. Um, I think this one is Dan Burson, but um, some of the others have different names on them. Uh, so it's his company. Mm-hmm. They're all. I'll, let me tell you a bit. I guess I'll tell you a bit about the series in general. The U-boat leaders, the the, the boat ones are very different. Um. I'm not really a fan of that one, but the the plain ones are all sort of similar. You have um, there's a lot of setup, but before you get discouraged, let me let me tell you a bit about it. There's a lot of setup where you're you're picking basically your um, the pilots in Thunderbolt Apache Leader. You're picking the planes you're going to use, and then you're going to pick the pilots that are going to go with those planes. Uh, you're picking the campaign. There are eight campaigns in the box, and then there are what they call situations. There are six of those. So you match a situation with a campaign. Any, any of the situations can go with the campaigns, and that dictates uh, – the campaign dictates what – you know whether it's Libya or Syria or it's what war it is, what year it is. So that will dictate some of the planes you can or can't use because the other, they're either obsolete now or they're, um, they haven't been invented. Uh, it'll it'll detail some of the munitions that de- and then it tells you what the map's going to look like. Um, the situation is more there's special rules and it usually dictates the length of the campaign. So you could play the Libya map and play a two day campaign. You could play the same thing with a eight day campaign. Um, so there's a lot of setup in getting choosing all your pilots and getting all that set. Um, one of the things I, I took this game on vacation once, and what I did was I had all that. So the first the first morning, I'd get up, have my coffee, and I would I got it all set up, and I played one day or one mission because you can fly a couple of missions in a day, and then I'd put the thing. You could put it away in a way that the next morning, I basically opened the bags, pulled out the cards because I had all the planes and everything separated for what I was using for this campaign. And in half an hour, I could play another mission and put it away. The next day, half an hour, play a mission, put it away. So it's a great game for that kind of thing. Um, so, so once you get the, the setup, so let's say you're playing, a, I don't know, it's a six-day six um, game. You're going to fly these missions that you take your planes on. In, in Thunderbolt Apache Leader, you like I said, you can only use the planes once per day, and you have these targets that you can either in, in this game, you've got targets that are approaching your uh, headquarters, and so you can attack the near ones, uh, which you know take less fuel, use less stress because they're closer. Um, but they they might not be what you would consider the most dangerous ones because there could be some in the rear 
that are giving you some big negatives. And so you think maybe I need to get rid of that one first and take a chance that the ones near the front don't get too close. So you choose what you're going to attack and, and then you play the mission. And so you have to choose which planes you want to use. Now, if you're, you're trying to get as many of these things off the board as you can. So if I have, I don't know, eight planes, I don't want to send all eight out. I could, and it would probably be a massacre. But I'd probably want to say, okay, this one's a really tough mission. I've got to destroy a lot of things. So I'm going to put five of the planes on this mission. And then I've got this other smaller one that's closer to the front, has less targets, and I'm going to put three planes to that. And you, so once you decide what you're going to do for the day, then you go and you play that mission. Um, the other two leader games, Hornet Leader and Phantom Leader, are very similar, except instead of pilots and planes, they just have one. They just have the pilot, which tells you what kind of plane he flies, and that's it. But figuring out the missions and a lot of that kind of stuff is pretty similar. Uh, what Thunderbolt does, well, then the next step is then you have to arm your planes. And so you've got all these different munitions where you decide, you know, you how much air-to-air um, missiles do you want to take with you? How much? Uh, how many you know bombs do you want to take? How many how many uh, munitions do you want to take that you can actually fire more than one hex away? Because one thing in this game is some of the things that shoot back at you are deadly. Um, some of them you're you're going to take a lot of damage, so you need to get rid of them before you get in range, or you need to get rid of them for sure on one shot. Um, so you're either going to take stuff that's got a very high probability of hitting. So some of the, some of the uh, munitions you take might cost you three in weight, but all you got to do is roll a one or higher on a D10. You know, pretty good odds at that. But you're tying up a lot of the weight points you can carry with just one missile. Uh, or you take something that can fire three hexes away, knowing that the worst thing out there can only hit you from two away. And so you're choosing how to arm your plane based on what the map looks like, what your mission is, and and what you have. Yes, you you know, there's it's very it's very procedural as far as the order you do the steps. So the first step, once you choose the mission, you know exactly what type of things you're going to card. So the card might say you've got four tanks, six infantry, and two SAMs. Well, you know the SAMs are really bad, and you need to get rid of those. Um, you don't know where they are on the map yet. You just know that they're out there. Now, on the Hornet leader and Phantom leader, everything's most of the stuff is the target's in the middle, always in the middle, and then basically you fly to it, and then you fly off. Um Thunderbolt Apache leader actually has 10 tiles you put down that create a map that adds a lot more to the strategy to it. And, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But So yeah, you arm your plane and you don't know how many shots at the bombs. You really need to make sure you take enough to, to kill it. But you could roll lucky and take less. Um, some of the missions, there's no... There's no help. There's no other planes in the air, so you don't need air-to-air -air missiles. Um, so you can, you know, not load up on those things. So there's also there's an event card that you draw at the start of the day, and there's another one you draw at the start of the mission, and you draw a third one at the end at the end of the mission. 
So there are some surprises that can happen. So you may have to decide you want to take some extra stuff just in case. Um, you also have these um, SO points, and I forget what they stand for, but these are the points you have throughout the entire campaign to spend on munitions, to spend on resting your pilots, to spend on repairing your planes and other things. So you can't you know, you can't load up on the really expensive stuff because you're not going to have any points left for the later missions. So it's really trying to be as efficient as you can on every mission. Um, sometimes you cut it too close and you don't do well. So on the on the target card you're trying to get, you're going to have it'll tell you there's um, I don't know it'll tell you all the all the different things that are going to be on the map. And if you look at it, it's going to say if you added it all up, you might have 28 points of stuff. And it's going to say to free to destroy it, you got to get it down to five. If you can get it down to fourteen, half or some other number, then you you cut it down to half, and it's so it's half effective. And there's some benefits to that. Then then the next step, you um, then you then you roll and you put the the enemies on the map then you put your planes on the map and and that's what separates this game from the other leader ones the puzzle of putting your planes on the map to take advantage of the terrain because there's basically there's there's hills and so if you go over a hill you either got to take take a chance and you're going to take some stress or you go high as soon as you go high then the enemy has a chance you're going to pull a chit out of a cup that might produce uh, extra enemies on the ground. It could produce planes in the air that you have nothing to go after them with. Um, so you generally want to try to stay low as much as possible. But these ridges are in the way. Um, so they're great for shielding you. So if something's on the other side of a ridge and doesn't have line of sight, you know, the ridges are great so they can't shoot you. Then it's your turn. You move over and you shoot them. Um, but it's a great puzzle because some of the planes can hover. Some of the helicopters, the Apaches, can hover. So they can move in the middle of a hex and shoot anything into it or anything out of it in any of the six directions. Some of the other planes move two or one or two spaces regardless. So you're kind of trying to plan, okay, the, you know, the first turn, I'm here, I'm clear, they can't shoot me, but where am I going? Because the map doesn't always lend itself to just flying nicely through all the hexes and shooting everything in sight some point you're either going to have to go high or you're going to have to take a chance that you're going to fly into a place where people are going to shoot at you and hope you don't take much damage. Um, so, so that's, that's the part I love is just setting that up and trying to figure it out. And then on each turn deciding where do you go? Okay. And so what is the setting for this game? Is this is modern warfare, I guess. This this one is this is um, close air solitaire. Most of this is like Iran, Iraq, Libya, that kind of thing. Looks like I think um, I don't have the scenarios. No sci-fi stuff. No, 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 no. Um, Phantom leader, I think, is Vietnam. Uh, Hornet leader is eighties. Uh, now, Hornet Leader did add a um, – there was a, um, an expansion for that to add Cthulhu elements. Um, 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know if that's something they're going to do a lot of. That that makes the game tempting for me, except I owned, I believe I owned Hornet Leader. Okay, well, Hornet Leader. I didn't enjoy part. it. Okay. Yeah. What parts did you not enjoy? I think the setting. When I oh, okay. I, I didn't care so much for for the idea of flying planes, and in the modern warfare. You so want which you want fantasy or something in there? Maybe if it was against Cthulhu, I would have enjoyed it more. It might have been I, the case. Or, yeah, it was flying some sort of, like, ornithopter or something. You know, it's funny. When people ask me about the games, and I always tell them, well, get Phantom Leader or Hornet Leader first, because I got Thunderbolt Apache Leader first, and I thought the other two were a bit less, because they didn't have a map. So I found there was less to do and less. The, the, the biggest decisions was picking the target and arming it. And after that, your plane just basically flies straight through and you just roll the dice and, and drop it. And I found, to me, they're still fun. I, I enjoy the setting up and, and the, um, you know, trying to decide, you know, go through the missions, but not the same as Thunderbolt with the map. The map really makes a big difference. Hmm, okay. So I wonder if I would like that more because of that. Because, yeah, I, I, I found the game dry, and I think I didn't, I didn't find the setting up too interesting either. Yeah, and you know, there's there's variants that come with the game that make it easy. Someone produced a um, one one of the variants is you can, you get four extra um, SO special operation points if you do a random draw of your planes. And so what they do, and the planes have different costs. Um, so you start with maybe fifty points. So you sh- you just shuffle up the deck and you turn over the first card and you say, okay, it's an eight-point plane. And you say, okay, that's your first plane. The next one's a six, okay? And at some point, you pull up a plane, you go, I don't want this, so you're done, and you just stop. So that helps a lot of the setup because then once you've got the planes, you know, you've only got a few pilots to choose from that can actually fly that plane. Um, okay. So I, I like I like that variant. Someone actually pr- produced a, uh, a list – that that has dice with it so, or tells you what you roll. So you can actually just roll dice and it'll randomly select them for you. So you don't have to shuffle the cards if you don't want to. <laughs> um, I, I'm not a big fan of deciding what munitions I want on the planes. I find there's certain things I like and I just use the same ones over and over again. I might swap out more bombs for more missiles at times. Um, do you find yourself but overwhelmed I, from all the choices or you just don't feel like making the choices? No, at first it's like, I don't, I don't see the difference. And, and you know, and, and it, it basically comes down to, okay, do I get, is it better to have two missiles that take a seven or higher to, to hit or one that takes a three to hit? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> well, it depends, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, so because one of the things you can do is when you're over a target, let's say you're over one of those SAMs and you're firing at it, you get to choose how many of your munitions you want to use on that target. So if it's something you really want dead, you could fire three, four, five of them because you can only choose one target per turn, though. So five would be ridiculous. You might you might fire two or three at the most. Um and save one for just in case you miss and you try again the next time, but you're probably going to get damaged pretty bad by then. Mm. Um, Thunderbolt also added um, 
damage to the plane itself. The other ones, the other games basically just added stress. Uh, I think the plane could be completely shot out of the air, but there's no damage. This one, you could have, you know, engines are damaged or your cannons or your guns or, or it, you could die. But it's basically all kinds of damage. Some of it is affects like your speed or, or whether you can shoot this or whether you can drop bombs, just various things that can happen. So one of the things you got to do when you get back to base is decide, do you spend your special operation points on fixing this plane? Or you just buy a new one. Okay. You know, it kind of reminds me of um, The Hunters. I never played that. The sub-game. And, you know, I mean, it's extremely different, I think. And it sounds like this has a lot more decisions than The Hunters. But in the same way that you pick what ammunition you want at the beginning and and you're taking damage and different damage might have different effects on, on your game some. So it reminds me in that sense. Yeah. So and so, you mentioned there's a couple that are airplanes, and now you also mentioned there's a, some some that are subs. Oh, yeah, you U-boat leader is uh, you're the Germans. Before um, before we switch to that, just for anybody that doesn't know, I looked it up, and the Thunderbolt Apache leader Thunderbolts are airplanes, Apaches are helicopters, so you can okay. fly both kinds in there. Yeah, and they, yeah, <laughs> and they have some they have some unmanned ones too. Which oh, really? Give you. Uh, linking capability, so actually you could stay low and shoot to shoot at things over ridges, but that counts as one of your planes. So you you got to pay for it. Um, okay. Yeah. So yeah, U boat. Uh, actually, they just finished a Kickstarter for um, Gato or Gato Leader, which is another sub one and U boat leader. Uh, I think it just ended yesterday or something. Um, those those are really different. It, I almost look at those as a push-your-luck game. At least U-Boat Leader was. You decide, you, you take, you have your ships, you, your subs, you might have three subs, four subs, whatever it is, and you put them in different parts of, um, in this case it was like the North Atlantic, um, you know, around around Germany and England. And you you then decide, you know, I want to go on a mission. So you, you go on a mission and you roll and you see, pull up a card to see what you're hunting and you decide you want to attack it or not. And if you don't, then you return, and and then you can try another one. Or even if you're successful, you attack it. You might have some um, torpedoes left, and you decide you want to go again. And and you can do that as long as you want, you know. But at some point, you're thinking, okay, hopefully I can sink this thing in three hits because I've got three torpedoes left. And then you find out it's got four ships escorting it and um, you're going to die a horrible death. Hmm. <laughs> um, I, I just didn't, I didn't enjoy it. It didn't have the depth of even Hornet or Phantom leader. Hmm, okay. And it's also an older game than those looking at BGG. Yes. Yeah. So- I think it, I don't know. I don't know what order they came out in. I know a Pat, a Thunderbolt Apache came after, um, Hornet and Phantom Leader. Although the Phantom Leader Deluxe came out, was probably the last one that came out. Oh, and there's Tiger Leader too. There's a tank one. I have it, but I haven't actually played it. Oh, okay. So, did you know anything about it yet? No, I do. I mean, I have the game. It's it's a um, it's more like Thunderbolt. It has maps. You were playing the uh, the Germans because it's, it's the German Tigers. You were um, so you have the same maps kind of thing as Thunderbolts. I think that's good. Um, 
there was a lot of I, I didn't follow it a lot, but a lot of people complained. I, I think they simplified combat too much for the real uh, war game people or historians, because basically I think a infantry unit could shoot up a tank. Oh, I see. And people didn't like that, so they were, you know, they were trying to change the rules and, and do that. I think DVG's working on that, and they're supposed to be coming out with a. a basically a complete rewrite of the rule book. The, the game works from what I understand. It's very, it's, it's supposed to be pretty good. It's just that it's not as historically accurate as some people would like. Okay. I'm looking at the BGG page and there's a total of 16 leader games mentioned, which is an awful lot. It's a big series. And I think at least one of those is an expansion, the, the Cthulhu conflict. And right. I think there's a deluxe version and a basic version of uh, Phantom Leader. Yeah, the, the deluxe so, is the new one. Uh, I don't think they even sell the regular one anymore. Oh, okay. And then there's a, there's a couple listed on there, Israeli Leader and um, another one that, that they were announced like three years ago, and they're still not out yet. Okay. And there's one that looks interesting to me, B-17 Flying Fortress Leader, and that has a release date of 2016 so yeah, i don't think it's out yet yeah i haven't heard of that one <laughs> you know i don't know i mean i i have well counting tiger i have five of these now i don't know that i think i would only get the ones that are similar to thunderbolt that have a map uh, which i think i think i heard israeli leader was going to be like that so i would get that one um but I don't need any of the other kinds. And I didn't like the boat one, so I wouldn't get uh, Gatto Leader. Hmm. Okay. Are, these, are these games complicated for new players, or how, how heavy are these games? No, no, I think if you, you know, if you think of your average war game, these are considerably simpler. Um, one, there's a lot of videos out there. If you, if, you, if you can learn from videos, there's a lot of people who've done playthroughs. Uh, but... Like I look, I just looked at this. Thunderbolts, twenty-eight pages, but um, three pages at the end are basically a walkthrough of playing um, one complete mission. There are two or three or four pages that are a description of the the munitions and kind of the historical aspect, and then what the symbols on them mean. So you don't really need that. I, I would say the rules might be 10 pages and lots of pictures. Um, very, It's really very easy to understand. Um, trying to think, you know, I don't know if you've ever played things like Navajo Wars or something like that. It's mm -hmm. a lot easier than that. Yeah. I, from what I remember of Hornet Leader, it was really easy to learn. I would say I would put it on, on a par with a lot of the Victory Point games. Like I got Cruel Necessity on my table right now. It's simpler than that how long does it take okay. you to set up like i said it probably, you know you it probably it's probably half an hour to get it set up but then you know when i took it on vacation and i'd get up the next morning and pull out the box i was playing in five minutes but when you talk about the setup isn't the setup in a way also playing the game because you're, you're picking your units and all that you're sure playing? But you're doing that once for the whole campaign. So you're you know, picking all your pilots and um, picking your planes and your pilots and picking the mission or the uh, – not the mission but the, the setting and the situation. You're doing all that once. 
And so you got to go through the, you know, they got chits like a normal war game. So having a, a counter tray really helps. But, you know, so I'll go through and I figure, okay, I'm using these eight pilots. So I go find those chits with those names on it and I put them in a separate bag. So I don't have to go through any of those anymore. Um, the munitions and all that are in a counter tray. So I just pull out the ones I need. Um, and then I had a couple of cups that I just threw all the hit counters in. Um, so I would draw them out. And, um, you know, it, the, the next day, like I said, I'd pick my pick, pick what I was going to go attack. And I'd say probably five minutes I was off and playing. Yeah, okay. That didn't sound bad at all. The the setting up it almost sounds like making your characters for D and D or something like that. Yeah, well, you're it's making your party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you think about assembling a party. Well, neat. Now, okay. Now I would I would strongly advise having a counter tray so that you've got a little components for you know the different the different ammunition and the different um, there's a few other little stress counters and things like that so they're all in their own little slot that way you just pull that out out of the box set it on the table and you. Pick what you need right out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could use Ziploc baggies for this sort of thing, but it's so much harder. Yeah, now that would add a lot to the setup. If I had to take every different type of counter out of a Ziploc, a different bag, and put them on there, or worse, you know, pour them on the table and then sort them, then, okay, <laughs> now you're looking at a considerable amount of setup. So how long does yeah. setup take you with a uh, counter tray? Like I said, probably... probably not the first one with where you're picking your pilots, but right. the second mission five five minutes. Like when I when I was on vacation, I'd pull it out of the open the box and I was playing in five minutes, and probably play half an hour for a mission, and put it away. If if I if it was for some reason a really short one, uh, I could do another one and you know another twenty thirty minutes and do a second mission. How big are the counters? The standard war game counters. Um, same as Navajo War, same as same as almost all, every war game. It's about like half an inch or three quarters inch or something like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm looking at them. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Is it easy to use the counters like that? Oh yeah, out of the counter tray, it's really easy. Um, you know, you have all the different munitions set up and in certain ones. But like I said, I ended up using a lot of the same, maybe. Four, there's probably 20 different munitions. I probably use five uh, that I really like. Now, some of them, because I, I like to play the game in order, so I'm playing the oldest campaigns first and working my way forward. So some of the munitions aren't available to the later campaigns. So you know, I just leave them in the box. I can't use them at all. Well, right. That sounds like a fun game. Except oh, that I don't like the theme. But other than that. Well, <laughs> maybe they'll make a... Uh, D&D dragon version. Yeah. Now, you know... The, Why not? The, Why not? The B-17 one. That one sounds interesting. I'd like to play that. Because it's World War II sort of thing? Yeah. Or? yeah. Just changing changing the setting back 30, 40 years, whatever, 50 years. Why does that make a difference to you? I don't know. I've, for, I don't know why I've never found the idea of the modern military stuff as interesting as World War II. <laughs> I, I, the combat's a little different, you know. At least it seems more different. I think World War II is kind of romanticized. It, that makes a difference. The modern planes are just so much more, so much faster. And I cannot imagine being in one and actually being able to 
keep track of what's going on. But I guess the scales are also bigger when you're flying that much faster. They got computers, man. Yeah, I have played a B seventeen Queen of the Skies also. And yeah, that so, was one of the games I traded away when I got back uh, into it. I probably regret. Yeah, you know, I I sold that game on eBay at some point, and I, I kind of wish I hadn't. Yeah. So I I tried to go back and play it a few times, and I could never get into it again. So I'm I'm glad if I they hopefully found a home where it was enjoyed again. But I kind of wish I still had it. That's a lot like the hunters that we mentioned earlier. You know, in the yeah, you're you're rolling dice and not making much choices, but it still ends up being kind of a fun story. So yeah, so any, any games you're looking forward to other than Kickstarter stuff we talked about? Well, there's there's other Kickstarters that I'm hoping to get this year. Um, sort of. Well, did you ever play Galaxy Defenders? No. Yes. I, I like Galaxy Defenders, but then the same company came out with is coming out with Sword and Sorcery, which is sort of a fantasy version of it. So I was all over that because I, I love that kind of thing. Plus, their games have been really good. Um, well, the the second Myth, um, what Myth? One thing Myth has done is they have their characters are like uh, apprentices, or I forget what the term is originally. And now the next, the second Kickstarter was Journeyman. And so your priest can suddenly go two ways to being uh, a necromancer or a, or a, I don't know, something priestly. Something. Yeah, good. And there's a good and there's a good and bad fork for every character. So that's Journeyman. And then, I don't know, two years from now, they're going to come out with a third level. And then there's a fourth level they say they have planned. So I'll just keep buying that stuff. Um, so the journey movement's supposed to be out this year. Um, yeah, there's, there's there's quite a few that there's quite a few quick kickstarters that I'm waiting on, and that's one of the reasons I'm trying not to buy. I'm trying to cut down. <laughs> Everybody everybody's trying to cut down. It's so hard. Yeah. We all say the same thing, yeah, but but nobody does it. <laughs> yeah, that's very right. true. All right, so uh, I think we're just about wrapped up with it. You want to give it a final rating? Oh, on uh, Thunderbolt. Yeah. It's a nine for me. Um, it's it's like I said, out of my, I think I I have about a hundred solo games I can play now, and that's number six, maybe five or six. Certainly the top war game. Very cool. That's pretty good. It, it does sound more fun than the other games you mentioned. The the Phantom Leader and the others. Yeah, well, watch a video on it. I think uh, it's pretty interesting. Like I said, it's a lot of good decisions, which is what I like in a game. Yep, I agree. Now the people who don't like dice, they, they don't play it because it can be frustrating. <laughs> I was going to say, if you don't like dice, you shouldn't be gaming. Well, yeah, that's why I think. <laughs> I don't know. Completely against them. Sorry. So how about we move on to the great debate? All right. So we have the results from the last time. As a reminder, last time we were doing for Agricola, and the options for what's missing were sanity and flower pot. The idea of the great debate is that uh, usually both Albert and I would be arguing about what the game is missing. We would both be given uh, a random word, and we'd both get the opportunity to spend 20 seconds, and the first person gets a 10-second rebuttal, for why that idea better fits into the game. 
Last time, Albert won with 70% of the vote. Clap, 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 clap. <laughs> Good and job, that, that Albert. Was the first, that was the first one. But then we did the second one, the baseball. Bombs and paper. Was that for the baseball 2045? Yeah, we talked about baseball 2045 and bottom of the ninth. It was a doubleheader. Okay. And let's see who won that one. No, but I know some people didn't like me arguing for bombs. No, bombs won with 68.2 of the vote. So you still won about 70%, Albert. Yay. <laughs> how, how many voters this time? Uh, 22 Coming voters up. this time. Wow, okay. So we're getting more votes, and so you still won. So good job, Albert. That's That's two for you. Excellent. I think this time, I think we're going to be doing Albert and Kevin, though, for this one. Get the guest oh. involved. <laughs> Surprise, Kevin. <laughs> okay. I, I am. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about what would be best to be included in um, Thunderbolt Apache Leader. All right. All right. Or any of these other airplane games. We'll be Do you know how this works? Airplane game. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So I've got two words at random. Albert, you won last time, but we have a guest here. So guest, Kevin, would you like to go first or second? Oh, second. Second? Yes. All right. Albert, your word is going to be seaweed. Seaweed. Kevin. And w- yeah, go ahead. I need to argue why Thunderbolt Apache Leader needs more seaweed. Yes. Ah, Okay. And Kevin, yours is going to be fairy. Okay. Like F A I R Y? F A I R Y, yes. Okay. Like a fairy. Okay. Like a pretty little okay. flying fairy. That's exactly what you have to do. All right. So <laughs> Albert gets to have the first 20 seconds, and then it's going to be uh, Kevin's turn. Albert, ready? I'm ready. Go. Okay. So this game needs more seaweed. The, the problem here, the game is too easy. And you need more things getting your way. What could be worse than seaweed falling into the blades of your helicopter? I mean, that would really make the game challenging. So you need anti-seaweed defense mechanisms. Not only do you got to pick bombs, but you got to pick, I don't know, seaweed nets or whatever you get seaweed with. And time. Chopsticks. <laughs> really, Albert? How does seaweed fall into the air? <laughs> I guess that's uh, up to Kevin to argue. I don't know why I'm doing Kevin's job for him. I, I was hoping nobody would notice that, actually. <laughs> well, we'll see, if, if does, we'll see if Kevin manages to notice that. Kevin, are you ready to go? You're talking about fairies. I am. Ready, set, go. Well, this game needs definitely needs fairies. I think every pilot could have their own little fairy that could fly along with them. It gives them extra abilities, gives them maybe special powers. Get us closer to that D&D version of Thunderbolt Apache Leader. Plus, there's no seaweed in the sky. (laughs) There might be. Time. (laughs) Huh. Sorry, Albert. All right. You know... Albert, you have ten second rebuttal. You know, Go. I, I'm gonna abs- I'm gonna abstain. <laughs> I hate I hate to admit this, but I agree that the game could use more fairies. Yeah, those are tough words for uh, seaweed. See, it's just unfair. Oh, that's, that's a... <laughs> well, that was a random draw. So yeah, that's the way it came. So it goes. Now your winning streak might come to an end. Then. <laughs> and just as well. Wonderfully argued, Albert. All right, and and so nobody submitted words this time. Nope. Did we check? Still okay. nothing. I did check. Still nothing. 
Remember, you get a free dice if you submit a word. A free die. Maybe I'll give you two. <laughs> It'll be dice. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.